Welcome to AP Bible Church. We're so glad you guys are here. Be sure to go over and check out apbiblechurch.com where you can find out more about our church, about the pastors. You can visit the blog for different resources and teachings. We have family study packets each and every week based off of our Sunday sermons. You can also join in our group page. We have a group there for the church where members can get on and gather together in fellowship and community there through the website. We stream services every Sunday afternoon at 1 p.m. Eastern, bi-weekly Sunday evenings at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, and also on Wednesday evenings as well for our midweek message and prayer gathering. Pastor Brandon has been teaching through the Gospel of Matthew, and we are excited to have you all here so we can dig in a little bit deeper and hear what he has to teach us today. Thank you guys again so much for being here. Of course, we are always available for each and every one of you. If there's ever anything that we can do, please don't hesitate to reach out. Until then, let's dive in. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you. Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity to be able to speak to your people. Father, I thank you so much for this beautiful church family that you've given us, Lord, and given us the opportunity to lead. Father, all these things that we discussed, Father, all the sickness and hurt, death, all these things that we're seeing right now, Father, please just give us strength. Father, please just give us comfort. Remind us, Father, that you know that you are the God of all comfort. And that one day all of these things will come to an end. And one day we will be with you. Father, again, I thank you for the opportunity to be able to lead your people. Father, I ask that you just give me the words and the message to speak to them today, Lord. Please let everything come from you and nothing from me. As we talk about the coming tribulation of the world, Father and climaxing with your soon return. Father, we lift these things up to you and seek to glorify you and honor you and all. We love you in Jesus' name we pray, amen. <laughs> Gina says I lost 30 last year and gained them on more back this year. We all did, Gina. It's, let's just... Man, it's been, it's been really tough too for me because ever since my, like for these past couple of years with my neck, uh, it's just, I have not been able to, um, do anything. I was, I was a person that would fairly, um, had my own little workout regimen and everything that I did every day. And, uh, for the past couple of years, I haven't been able to do that. So it really stinks, but all right. So back onto serious matters and getting rid of the, uh, Stop talking about self, right? All right. I have been so, 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 so excited to get to this chapter. I've talked through this chapter a couple times on Wednesday nights. Um, but I don't think, you know, obviously we've, we haven't gone through it while going into it with the whole book of Matthew. So I've just taken it and, um, and done it on its own. But as it, this is kind of nice to be able to kind of do it as we see it unfold in scripture, you know, how, how this came about, because 
we see that uh, in chapter 23, at the end of chapter 23 here, Jesus laments over Jerusalem. And he makes a, a very, very important statement here in Matthew 23, 38, when he says, See, your house is left you desolate, the house of Israel, the Messiah. He had been cut off. He is, he is going to be cut off with his death. Uh, that was this offer to the kingdom and the kingdom that was rejected. Remember, he's in the temple. They were questioning his authority. They were questioning all these different things. And Jesus had just got done just pronouncing the most, like, he just went 100 on them with this rebuke. I mean, like I said, I, I, I like to think that he, he was yelling uh, in a righteous way. Uh, he was not, he was not very, very happy. Um, and I think as we're getting into the beginning of chapter 24, I think there's a, there's something that might be kind of funny on that that kind of, might kind of uh, maybe lead to my point or maybe maybe I'm just reading a little too much into it. But um, let's see here. We have got we've got a ton of good resource for uh, resources for you this week. I went ahead and posted a video earlier this week. It was just an extra. A sermon that I hope you guys got uh, a chance to watch. If you didn't, Heidi's going to be posting it again this week in this week's study packet. Um, it's a sermon on this. It's a sermon and then just some more information on um, study, study information on this, this chapter in particular. Um, let's go ahead and get into it here. We're going to get into, after they're leaving the temple here, Jesus had just gotten done pronouncing the woes to the, the religious leaders for leading the nation of Israel down the wrong path, being blind, and not recognizing their time of visitation when the Lord was was there. And the last thing that, you know, he says to them in verse 39 in chapter 23 is that for I tell you you will not see me again until you say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord okay and this is looking at Matthew from this uh, this this perspective and in, from which it was written in which we don't we're not taught this very much in the church uh, I've said before if you if you have been taught this way you went to an awesome church and good for you but unfortunately the book of Matthew is, is not usually taught correctly in most of the, the, the church that we see today. Um, there's various reasons for that. Uh, we've gone over a few of them before. I think some of them is, is just anti-Semitism at the core. Um, I think it's Satan trying to destroy ever since day one, trying to destroy the Jew and anything to do with the Jew. And certainly with the rejection of the Messiah and, and, and everything with with that, certainly that would seemingly make you think that, well, God is, of course, he's done with them and anger with them. That's, that's not the case. That's not, that could be even further from the truth. And, you know, how do we know that? Well, verse 39 is one of those things when he says in, in chapter 23, when he says, for I tell you, you will not see me again. And then what does he say after that? Until. Does that sound like something that he's never going to do again? No, that sounds like something that he's like, well, until you do this action, then you will see me. 
<laughs> not you won't ever see me again until this happens. This is where I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So that's very important to, to understand of how the, how we understand these chapters and, and how we, we understand uh, these events when we, we talk about the end of the world, right? We, or, or the tribulation period or whatever you want to call it. And making these, uh, these distinctions and, and properly, rightly dividing the word of truth is very important to be able to understand it. And just like anything else, right? Any other, any other book, any other anything, you have to, and you, you know, you have to understand where it's coming from and, and all these different things about it. It's the same thing with scripture. Um, and what's awesome with scripture is the gospels, for instance, is we have four different gospels that have record of these things. So we can cross-reference four different gospels of this week. And, you know, we have a lot of information and a lot of ways to pick up context and what we're talking about. So it's important to continue to do this. So he's leaving, obviously he left in theory with that statement in 39 and that takes us into chapter 24 which this is one of the most debated chapters in our um i guess in end times uh you know arguments between many people this is this is probably you know one that gets brought up a lot this is even to the same people that teach that what i teach that teach uh the the premillennial position um this is even where a lot of us will have different ideas and views on this chapter and how it plays out. Uh, for instance, one of my favorite teachers when it comes to this types of things is Andy Woods. Okay, and Andy Woods sees Matthew 24 one way. Well, one of Andy Woods' mentors and another one of my favorite teachers, his name is Arnold Frutenbaum, he sees Matthew 24 different and it's what the difference is is Andy Woods sees Matthew 24 is speaking about the second coming but it's also speaking of the time from the time that Jesus was on earth the first time up until the second coming so this covers a long period of time this goes all the way from when Jesus spoke these words all the way until when Jesus returns on earth so that's that's the way that we see it. Now, Arnold Frutenbaum sees this, Matthew 24, is kind of talking incrementally, and then he's talking about, the, then he brings up the rapture. So Arnold Frutenbaum believes that the rapture is in view in Matthew 24. I don't, I don't see that. I'm not convinced on that. I don't, I, I think it's very clear from what we read from Matthew 13, Okay, when we were we were looking at the parables, and we see that the 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 it, the wheat is gathered right with the wheat and the tares. Okay, we see that it's gathered, brought into the barn, and then we see that the other is cast out. It was burnt up. So I, that that to me that sounds what he's saying. If we if we tie that to twenty four, and we we talk about this here, that would mean that the one taken taken into the barn. Then the other thrown out into the outer darkness, that would be the second coming. That wouldn't be the rapture. So, 
But we do, we have differences there, and those are a few of the little differences that are okay. The, I talk about differences that we have in Scripture. Um, some differences are, are okay, and I think they're fun to kind of rib each other with and to look each other, you know, and say, well, how do you think that if this says this? You know, but at the end of the day, we come to the, um, the same conclusion because we believe the same thing. We just have a tiny little disagreement. Like, I see this a little bit different than you, and that's fine. Um, so you can see uh, Matthew 24 maybe is speaking of the rapture, and, and I, I'm not sold on that. I don't see how somebody that smart can, can get to that conclusion, but fine. I, I, I respect it and I can see where the argument comes from. And then on the other side of it, uh, you know, I think Andy Woods, I think we're talking about the second coming here, but I think where people get confused is the fact that it is speaking about this whole time frame. And we don't, I believe that we don't divide this book enough because we, we are not this book, but we don't understand what Jesus is saying enough here. And, and really pay attention to it because if we do, I feel like it's it's very, very easy to understand. You can clearly tell that he's talking about from when he was first on earth here till the next time that his feet will be in Jerusalem and you know as king. So that 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 covers a time that even though the church will be raptured before the seven year tribulation period, um, even though all of this will occur before then. It still covers the time period where we're in there because we're going to see a lot of um, a lot of these things play out, and that's what we're going to be going over today. We've got two main things that we're going to be going over today. We're going to make it through fourteen verses today. Okay, the first uh, main section of this is Jesus' prophecy of the destruction of the temple because he was just in the temple, right, and, and pronounced the um, the the woes on the religious leaders. He told them their house is going to be left to them desolate, um, which means it's going to be destroyed without him. Um, and then he goes into chapter 24 here in the beginning with the destruction of the sept, the prophecy of the destruction of the, the uh, temple. And then we're going to see disciples' questions and then the signs of the end of the world or the end of the age. So we'll see what these signs are that are going to be building up and leading up until the return of Christ, till all these things are fulfilled. But we have to remember here that Jesus is talking to Israel. He's not talking directly to the church. Now, there is a group at the end of this that includes the whole program, Jew and Gentile. And as, as far as that goes, that's, that would be, you know, that would be believers. That's, that's the whole group. Okay. But he is not talking specifically to the church here as we have in the letters and the epistles and, you know, Luke, John, we have, um, you know, we have John, we have Jesus revealing a complete, revealing the rapture in, in, in chapter 14. Um, we have this kind of more focusing towards a, a Gentile wide audience uh, is to where Matthew, his focus here was on Israel and Messianic believing, you know, believing Jews. 
uh, coming out of the tribulation period and going into the kingdom. So we have to understand it like that. Instead of insert, you know, inserting our understanding in here, we have to understand it from their perspective and what they would have understood. And they still got confused because at this point, this kingdom program here was still a little bit, they, they, they were, they were kind of bumming out. And uh, we're going to read one of the commentaries here that kind of, kind of goes over that and explains, you know, how could the Messiah be here and come, but now he's talking about dying. Now he's talking about clearly going away for a period of time and then coming back, they, they weren't quite understanding how it worked, but they still understood a lot of the principles of these things. So with that, let's just open in verse, we're gonna to get to two verses here at the beginning before we go, we go too far. <clears throat> All right, so Jesus right here, he's, tell, he's foretelling the destruction of the temple. Now this just, this just isn't only Jesus. Uh, prophecy of this. This was also Daniel prophesied of this in Daniel 9 and verse 26 that this, the temple would be destroyed again. It would be rebuilt and destroyed uh, again. And this is, this is what Jesus is speaking of. And one of these things that's interesting too, though, is while we're talking about, you know, this, this time period between Jesus first and the second comings, and we're talking about from a Jewish perspective here, then we have to understand that all of these things will happen in Israel as they happened in example before, meaning the Babylonian exile, the temple was destroyed, they were dispersed, they were brought back, the temple was rebuilt, right? And then they were, this temple here, Messiah came to the, the second temple that was rebuilt and they rejected him, the temple was destroyed, torn down, and so we're in this other period here in between, and we know scripture tells us all over the, the place that there's going to be a third temple. And we already see that regathering as we've seen in history two times already before, we've already seen this different regathering of Israel back into the land. This different regathering is, is to, show he, to, to show them that he is the, to show us that he is the Lord and he's going to do exactly what he was saying that he was going to do because these people are not in belief yet. He's gathering them to, to refine them for the tribulation. We don't know how long that will last, but the, the nation of Israel has existed and, and Jerusalem has been under control of Israel since 1967. And this hasn't been until they were kicked out completely in 70 AD. So this is uh, what we're looking at here in the first verse. And when I said earlier that I like to think that Jesus was upset, this question, these, these, the, this conversation that was going on here by the disciples, because they, they point out to the, as we go on to read here, they point out to the buildings uh, of the temple to him. And you know when you're an adult and you're really, really mad and you're yelling, maybe even at your other kid. And then you go and you're like walking, you know, let's just say that we're in the store and we're walking and we walk by somewhere and your other child realizes that you're really, really upset. And then they just like try to point something out to you. They're like, look at this. Look, isn't 
this the most pretty thing that you've ever seen, Dad? They just get real sweet, and they're like, isn't this so nice? And look how wonderful this is. And because they realize that you're, like, upset. You've gotten upset at the other one, and they just don't want to, like, you know. So that's where I think that, that's where I like to think that this question came from, because we don't really, uh, we don't really know um, what, what prompted the disciples to, you know, as Jesus was walking out of the temple, right after he just gave a scathing rebuke of the, the religious leaders and told them that, you know, all this stuff was going to happen, how they were walking out and from it and everybody, they're going, oh, look at these beautiful buildings. Jeez, look at this temple. It's gorgeous. <laughs> so he says in verse one, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point to him the buildings of the temple. In verse 20, and then in verse 2, but he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Okay, um, we, uh, we have parallel accounts that we add a little bit more information here to in Mark and Luke about this conversation and about Jesus' prophecy here of the destruction. He says, you see these? Say, look at all these beautiful buildings. He goes, yeah, Jesus, you see these? Yeah, they're going to be torn down, all of them. That probably was a little dejecting. They probably were like, man, yeah, well, we knew you were angry before. Now you're really angry. Uh, but we, if we go to Luke 21, verses 5 and 6, they deal with the same thing. Uh, Luke 21 reads, And while some were speaking in the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Okay, and then Mark 13, verses 1-2, Mark reads, And as he came out of, the temp out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher! What wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. So Mark's account is the one that got, got me to kind of go, this sounds like a little kid that's trying to point out something to their dad that's really angry. <laughs> you know, like something that's nice. They're like, look how awesome this is. Uh, and then Jesus answers him in verse 2. And Jesus said, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Okay, this, um, the, the wonderful buildings, what this was is this was Herod's expansion to the temple. Uh, that was, this wasn't even fully completed until later. So if in your study packet this week, I have a lot of good resources. I'm going to go ahead and go over the one, uh, here with the, the prediction of the temple here that John Walvin, uh, does. And I, I love his commentary on this whole chapter. I love his commentary period. A lot of it is where you will see um, a lot of our commentary come from, but he handles this, this very well. Let me read over here. He says, after delivering the denunciation of the scribes and Pharisees, Christ left the temple. According to Matthew 24, 1 and 2, as he left, the disciples pointed out the magnificence of the temple buildings. The temple had been under construction since 20 B.C., now, this was technically Zerubbabel's tense, uh, temple that was built after the Babylonian exile that was decreed when they returned back from Babylon and they rebuilt the temple. It was under Zerubbabel, but we know it as Herod's temple because of what Herod did these 
massive, beautiful expansions uh, of the temple. And that's what a lot of your post-millennialists and odd-millennialists will say that Herod's expansion was Ezekiel's temple. I know. I, I know. It doesn't make any sense to me either. But construction was going since 20 BC, and that's when we they, they started to, to make these upgrades. And though not actually completed until 64 AD, it's finally when the the temple complex was completely finished. So it was still under construction uh, even in Jesus when Jesus um, was was on the earth. So its main buildings had apparently were largely finished. To the disciples, the temple seemed an impressive evidence of the solidarity of Israel's religious life and of God's blessing upon Jerusalem. When the disciples pointed out the temple, according to verse 2, Jesus said, See ye not these things? Verily I say to you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. The disciples apparently received these solemn words in silence, but their thoughts were sobering. The temple was made of huge stones, some of them many tons in size, carved out in the stone quarries underneath the city of Jerusalem. Such large stones could be dislodged only through deliberate force. The sad fulfillment was to come in 70 AD, only six years after the temple was completed, when the Roman soldiers deliberately destroyed the temple, prying off stones one by one and casting them into the valley below. Recent excavations have uncovered some of these stones, I have included a picture in our study packet too of, yes, these have. There's the pile that you can go out, you can look at them, you can sit on them, you can take pictures of them, of the stones that have been excavated. They, they dug them up of this literal fulfillment. I mean, these, the, the Roman soldiers absolutely destroyed it. Um, the the uh, Siege of Jerusalem in 780 is going to be in part of your study packet as well. You're going to see how a lot of this was fulfilled very, very literally. And it's interesting because we see this pattern that was destroyed. The, the, set, the second temple destruction was identical to the first. Um, even I got lost in so many different rabbit trails this week of... Um, even reading Lamentations, you know, um, just over the different similarities that we have in these temple destructions and knowing that there is this third temple that will ultimately be destroyed by the coming of Christ, the greatest earthquake like the world has ever seen. And then, of course, Christ coming to take his throne and the temple will assumingly be renewed. He will bring um, or he will, you know, whether it's literally built or not by, uh, we don't know, or if it literally will just like poof. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what how he's going to do it. I'm not going to speculate because it doesn't say, um, but we know that there will be, um, you know, Christ's millennial, the millennial temple will be different. But we see, um, you know, we we just see these patterns. So if you see the um, the Roman siege of Jerusalem this week, you'll see these these stones were ridiculously large. I don't know if any of you have been over there and seen them. It's one of my dreams. I would love to go over to Israel. Um, hopefully I get there before I get there on a plane. Hopefully I get there with the Lord first. But 
Um, if I have to go on a plane first, I would love to go over there and see, but I mean, these, these stones, these are huge. Some of these were, um, up to five tons. Uh, I gave Heidi some the dimensions of, of some of them, uh, the other yesterday, these dimensions, I mean, these are ridiculous. I mean, these things are just crazy how large they are. Um, just toppled one right over the other and buried for all these years and now going over and seeing the literal fulfillment of Jesus' words. This is just absolutely fascinating. Um, all right. So the question here now is we, we get into verse three and now we get to a question. Now the disciples, after hearing all of these things, after um, being like, oh, okay, what? So this is different, <laughs> you know, because now the temple's going to be destroyed. How can you come and bring your kingdom if the temple's going to be destroyed? And, lot, you know, how, when is this going to happen? How, what? So they ask in verse three, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us. When will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and in the end of the age? You know, what's interesting is um, we get the identity of who this was from Mark. And that's what cross-referencing gospels is fascinating when we, we look to see the, the different information that we have. But we get from Mark 13, 3, it just says in Matthew here, it says, the disciples came to him privately, but Mark 13, three gives us the exact disciples. Mark says it was Peter, James, and John and Andrew. How fascinating is that, that, that John was there? I mean, to me, that just, that's mind blowing. Um, Peter, you know, I think that, that they come in and they ask him about it. And we obviously see um, Peter with, um, you know, obviously his, is speaking of the second coming in the millennial kingdom. And we obviously know John with revelation. Um, so for all of that to be later on and for them to be the ones coming up and asking about all this stuff here is, is very interesting. So what they asked him in verse three, and he sat on top of the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Okay, so this, this question that they ask, let's go to our commentary and I want to, uh, to read from the commentary again because this gives us a lot of really good information and this goes along with what I was teaching you guys on Wednesday, different views of the, the millennium and different views of the kingdom and, and different things like that. A lot of it comes to um, how we interpret this chapter and, and how we get there. So uh, it commentary reads, as they walked from the temple area through the Kidron Valley and up the slope of the Mount of Olives, the disciples no doubt were pondering the solemn words of Christ. Okay, Matthew 24, 3 records that when Christ sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples then came with their questions. According to Mark 13, 3, the questions were asked by Peter, James, John, and Andrew. Matthew 24, 3 records, and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, when shall these things be? 
Okay, the disciples had in mind, of course, that the destruction of Solomon's temple in 586 BC preceded the time of captivity. How did the temple's future destruction relate to the promise of the coming kingdom and their hope that Christ would reign over the nation of Israel? It's a legitimate question, right? I mean, how does this thing, how does this happen? Okay, so this discourse, as Walford goes on, this discourse that follows depends on, depends for its interpretation on the question of whether these prophecies should be interpreted literally. So these, these prophecies that we're, we're going to read a little bit later on, but then what, what Jesus says here, the, the view depends on whether we should interpret these literally. So this is why I'm really glad we went over those. And hopefully you guys did your a little bit of homework on those different views of the millennium and of these things. Um, that gives you, you know, just kind of a, a better base to be able to understand and be able to divide this on your own and in your own studies as well. Okay, so all millennialists who do not interpret literally any prophecy concerning a future millennial reign of Christ tend to take the prophecies in this discourse in a general rather than particular way and frequently try to find fulfillment in the first century in connection with the destruction of Jerusalem. That's what most of Matthew 24 here, that's what the preterist view says, that all of this was completed by the destruction of the temple and that there's no future fulfillment to it whatsoever. Okay, so people that are post-millennial following the idea that the gospel will gradually triumph over the entire world, right? Kingdom builders, as we learned, have to spiritualize it even more because this discourse indicates a tend towards increasing evil, which Christ will judge at his second coming. So that's a very, very hard thing to, to get out from for the, the post-millennialists because they have to even over-spiritualize it even more because we can clearly see that in this chapter as we can, as we go on to read that Jesus is talking about increasing evil here. Okay, so liberal, and, and Valverde goes on, liberal interpreters consider this discourse as only a summary of apocalyptic ideas current in the first century, presented here as if taught by Christ, but probably not actually uttered by Christ. Uh, he goes in to, to give an example here, but he goes on to explain those who take the Olivet Discourse literally, literally of course, not only reject the liberal interpretation, but also the amillennial view of this discourse. Premillennialists accordingly interpret this discourse as an accurate statement of end-time events, which will lead up to and climax in the second coming of Christ to set up his millennial kingdom on earth. Okay, I promise all of this is, is worth it. Okay, I, I know you're like, yeah, but I want to get to scripture. We're getting there, but we have to understand these few things before we can go and read and just go crazy on it, right? Because we, we can't, we don't want to read our own interpretation into it. We don't want to read our own ideas into this. We want to get a good base and come at this with fresh thinking. Okay, so coming back here. Um, going in and continuing. Some variations, however, may also be observed in the premillennial interpretation. 
Those who believe that the rapture, or translation of the church, occurs before the time of trouble at the end of the age usually do not believe that the rapture is in view at all in this discourse, which is why I really appreciated the way that Walford handled this personally. If you believe that the rapture is in view in Matthew 24, okay, I'm not going to argue with you. But it's not. Or, I don't believe it is. Okay, but this is, he just notes the fact that this is where there's differences that we have, and that's okay. Okay, but he says that it's not in view at all because as the rapture was first introduced in John 14, 1 through 3, the night before Jesus was crucified, sometime after the Olivet Discourse. Those accepting the post-tribulational view that the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ occur at the same time tend to ignore the details of this discourse in the same fashion as all millennialists do. Okay, so I don't want to confuse you, but on when we get to 25 and we're talking about the bridesmaids, be, that's where, that's what I was trying when we went over the bridesmaids. That's what makes that chapter so interesting because Jesus isn't talking about being left out to final judgment. He's being, he's talking about being left out of this, this, the, the consummation to the marriage. So when he's talking about that, he's saying that Israel is being left out, but this isn't final. So that's why chapter 25, as we'll see next week, or I don't think we'll get to it next week. It'll probably be two more weeks. But 25, that's why 25 is so interesting because we're like, okay, so he's not talking directly about the rapture here, but this whole shutout and the, and the bridegroom coming to take his bride, this is, this is, this is something that Israel would have understood, but now this is being applied to the Gentiles. So this is, this is something that's kind of interesting. So that, that's still in view, but that's in 25, but we're, we're talking about 24 here, but 24 to not get you confused. This, remember, this follows Jesus is leaving the temple and the religious leaders that have rejected him and he has pronounced these woes on them. So therefore, since the kingdom has been taken away and it has been given to the Gentiles, but postponed in, in the ways to the promises of Israel, okay, just like you know, just like a picnic. Today, we're going to have a picnic, weather permitting. That's the way that, um, that um, Middletown does it. They say, okay, we're going to have a picnic today, weather permitting. Well, the picnic's going to, you know, might have to be on Monday because it might rain today, but we're still going to have this same picnic. It's the same way with Israel here. Um, so we're, it's not that, you know, this invitation was, was taken away saying, Hey, you're not invited to the picnic anymore. It's now we're, we're dealing with something else now. So, um, it, it's, it's very important to, to understand those things. I don't want to get off too much here. So let me just continue back to this, this commentary here. This is, we see this as unfolding. And the reason why I wanted to go all through all of this is because we see this 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 present course that Jesus is talking about here is talking about from the time for when he was on earth the first time till the on till the second coming when when he'll be on the earth on the second time but in between that time period guess what we are in that time period we're in that time period right now we're in this period that Jesus said that we were going to be in we don't read ourselves more into this, but we take the principles away from this and we see how not only does this 
happen. And not only does this speak to that first generation of Israel, that's this first century generation, the one that the Messiah was talking to right then and there. Not only does it speak to that, but it speaks to those who are going to be left at the end of the tribulation period. So in between those periods is a lot of time. We don't know how much yet. But in between those periods, the church has grown, has existed. So if we're in between those periods, then the things that Jesus said in this absolutely apply to what we're going to see in the world around us and how to be able to interpret these prophecies of the end and understand the world that's going on around us. So while we're not directly speaking to the church and we're not reading things out of this and we're not, you know, but we see that he is absolutely speaking of the conditions and telling us to be aware of these things as we go into it. So let's get back to scripture. I know I had to give you a huge long-winded intro and read a couple commentary things on there for you just to get you in the right state of mind for this. Because once we can divide it properly, it just, it speaks to us. It does. It makes sense of the world going on around us. If you want to know what's going on around you now, here you go. I mean, this is exactly what Jesus said. And the sermon that you have that I've posted, the John Barnett sermon um, that I posted earlier this week and that will be in your study packet, he goes over the most repeated end time sign. How do we know that it's the end of the day? How do we know that Christ's return is soon? How do we know these different things? And guess what the common repeated sign was? Religious deception, 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 deception. And warning after warning after warning after warning. Let's go and let's go ahead and start in verse four and highlight these and understand these as we're reading these. Okay. In verse four, and Jesus answered them. Okay, so what are the signs going to be? Is going back to the question that they 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 asked. What are the signs of the end of the the end of the age, the end of the world? And Jesus answered them. See that no one leads you astray. So what was Jesus' first answer? See that no one, circle that one, no one leads you astray. Verse five, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. What does he say in five? How many? Many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. So, the, you know, what's interesting about this is, did you know that they had people in Paul's day that said that they were the second coming of Jesus? They were running around teaching people that they were Christ. He'd come back. He'd returned. That was in the first century. Many will come in my name saying, I'm the Christ. Okay, we see, we've seen that from not only the first century, we see that all the way up until now. We see Heidi and I were just talking about this guy that got arrested. I think he was in, uh, we forget what country he was in. 
Um, but he actually believed that he was the inner in, in taught that he was the incarnate Jesus. Um, these are, those are extreme examples, but one thing that we don't really understand here is you notice he says many will come in my name. So that doesn't just mean that they're going to stand there with long hair and a beard and call themselves Jesus. That's not what that means. He's warning them, see that no one leads you astray. Deception. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead how many astray? Not a few, but many astray. So the first sign for the end of the end of the world and all of these things occurring, what is the first answer? If so, if you're going to ask Jesus, Jesus, how do we know? How do we know that the end times are, are going on right now? How, how do we know? And he gave us the answer. See that no one leads you astray. That answer is deception. This is going to be marked by deception. That's why this mustard seed kingdom, right? This mustard seed that grows into this monstrosity of just shallow nothingness, you know, like you can root, a, you, you, you can pull a weed up. Nothingness. It's shallow. There's nothing there. What do you think, you know, how do you think that we get to that? <laughs> because he's warning here of deception in his name. And they will lead many astray. So while that yes, this is not speaking directly to the church. Do you see how Jesus is saying and he's answering a question? Well, before my second coming, these things, this, this environment is going to be characterized by these things. And the first answer is deception. There, there, I cannot get you to understand that enough. And deception is, is everywhere right now. What I, I pointed out, why continue to harp on this, the politics stuff? I, I say all these things and, and, you know, people get so mad at me. They leave the church. They get angry over me, over a man and all these things. And they don't truly understand that. Look, guys, I'm, here's the problem. The problem is, is that this is a man that calls himself a Christian. This is a man that, that has heretics that are in his cabinet. This is a man that largely our evangelical community embraces. And all of this is just shallow nothingness when we know this is prideful. This is, we, we know all of these things. What do you think that leading astray is? Like, what do you think that that means? Do you think it's the guy, the guy that's acting against everything that Christ is? I'm not talking about the obvious evil. That's what's the most ridiculous cop out of this whole thing is people want to go, well, yeah, but there with their gays and their babies and their killings and all of these things and it's like okay oh congratulations it's it's obviously worse but you don't think that all of these things pride haughty i mean greed all of you don't immorality even 
you know, okay, so maybe it's not with a, a guy and a guy, but, you know, maybe it's it's the guy that's, you know, sleeping with his, his secretary or his page or whatever else it is. You know, it's, it's but, but we like to, you know, point out things that are more obviously evil as opposing, you know, as, as to seeing what, what the deception is. And it's funny because John Barnett in that same sermon, he goes, Christians, he goes, what, what do you think? Think of like a hundred dollar bill, a counterfeit hundred dollar bill. Think about this as a counterfeit Christian. What you look at it, it looks like a hundred dollar bill. Like even a good one, it looks exactly like it. But what do you have to do? You have to hold it up to the light to be able to see that if it's fake. You have to mark it. You have to be able to, to see if it's fake or not. But look how close that that is. You cannot tell the difference. So why would you why would you not think that it would come in the way that you're like, okay, well, yes, obviously the world is bad, so I have to choose good. And so this is obviously good. This is This is leading me into this way. No, that none of it's good. And especially if we have heretics at the helm, that should be your first, first, first sign. That should be the first. Even spiritual advisors, all of this nonsense. If they're a, if they're literally a heretic, which if you're, if you have any questions about it, I did podcasts. I've done plenty of teachings on it. There's no questions. These are, these are demonic false teachers. And what does Jesus say? Again, see in verse four, see that no one leads you astray for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and they will lead many astray. Lead many astray, not a few of us, many. And we have to understand too that we're, we're not talking about necessarily the world here. When we say lead many astray, um, the unbelieving world is already led astray. They don't need to be led any further astray. They already are. So who do you think that this is referring to? This is a potential believer here. This is not necessarily referring to the world. There's definitely things that, that apply to the world here as we get to see, but we have to remember it where, what exactly he's saying here. Because he's talking about being fooled by a false Christ. So you say Christian, and we need to be careful of that. Verse six, the next sign after leading and deception, the next sign that he goes on, but he says, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. But look what he says here. See that you are not alarmed. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. This is what puts for me, this is part of what puts a nail in the, the preterist coffin, the one that says that all of this was fulfilled by 70 AD. And Jesus is saying, no, he's talking incrementally here. And this is where we divide. This is one of those divides in understanding. See that you are not alarmed. Don't be afraid. You're going to see, okay, so there's going to be a rise in deception. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. But don't be alarmed. It, all these things are must take place. And he says, but the end is not yet. In the end of verse 6, but the end is not yet. So these things must take place. It's incrementally. Then in verse 7, he goes and continues. Look at, and, and so 
you know, I should have told you to highlight the Wars and Rumors of Wars, because that was the second one, because the first one was Lead Many Astray, the second was Wars and Rumors of Wars, the second sign, the third one, in verse 7, for nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, nation against name, nation against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. But when we say that it will rise against, what does this sound? This sounds like civil war. It's not necessary. It's not people fighting each other. It's not Iraq and Iran and everything. It's civil war. The Greek, the, the, the words that are used here is, is ethnic, ethnic groups. So we, we see a lot of racism. We see a lot of internal civil matters and things like this. This is a sign of the end. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. So not only is he telling us a lot of information here, but this is all information here about the first century. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines, pestilences in various places. Um, this was, this all played out with not only the destruction of the temple, but I mean the whole area of Israel around then there was all kinds of, of earthquakes and famines and, and things like that. Um, all, all kinds of, uh, of different issues going on. Uh, matter of fact, Travis is on here right now. He probably, my son, he probably could, could tell you some of the, um, the kingdom problems of, of Rome in that area around that time. Um, it was, it, it started to get very, very bad towards the, uh, towards the end there. But these were direct fulfillments for them of the first century. But also, as we said, as I said earlier, they're, they're building up, they're incrementally, they get worse and worse and worse. Cause he said, you know, you'll hear all this, you'll see all this, but the end is not yet. There's more coming. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Okay, now, again, it's hard to explain because not only are we talking about the first century, but remember, the second coming. Now, this isn't directly to us because we're not here during the second coming if we're in Christ. We have already been taken in the rapture and we return with him during the second coming. But you see, when I was kept saying stage set, stage set, stage set, stage set, all of these things are going right into the tribulation period. You know that there's only a seven year difference in between, <laughs> you know, the tribulation period and the coming of Christ because there's the seven year tribulation and then the return of Christ. Okay, so it, it, it's not like we just snap our fingers and it's some new point of history and like everything's all changed all of a sudden. No, um, I mean, you, you know, like it's pretty much going to, you know, it's going to be, if the, if the rapture happens on Monday, it, people are going to wake up Tuesday and be like, hey, it's Tuesday. And there's even going to be a church in the tribulation period. There's going to be a church and there's going to be Israel. And that's the other thing that's really, I think it's hard for people to be able to, to divide scriptures to understand that, especially when we're talking in Revelation, that, hey, there's a, there's a, certainly a remnant of, of God's people here on earth. But, but we, you know, making those distinctions between realizing that there's a church in Revelation 3, I mean, it's, it's clear that the, the, the churches that he's rebuking, he says, hey, you don't know what hour I'm going to come against you. Well, I mean, this is a church because they're going to be left if, he, if they're not, if they don't repent and turn. So, but that's a church. I mean, clearly they weren't truly believers, but they were believers. 
There's also going to be the Jews in the tribulation period. So once we under, you know, if we, we, we kind of get those things right, it, it helps us kind of break these things down a little bit. But uh, continuing on in verse 8. Okay, uh, famines and earthquakes in various places. Um, verse 8, all these things are the beginning of birth pains, likened to birth pains. There's a lot of moms here that know what that's all about. You know that they get, you know, they, they, they get closer and closer, more intense, more intense, and they get longer. Okay, if you see our, our, the progression of our world from even, you know, 10 years ago up until now, you can see that we definitely were in a long groaning, a hard, hardcore birth pain from where we are even a while ago. But if you notice, it'll, it'll kind of, you know, kind of settle down for a little bit, but then it'll come back up. But goodness, recently it's been, it hasn't stopped at all. So that should tell us something that, that really should. Right, then Jesus says something here very, very, um, you know, important. And this is, this is where we, it's important to understand this in the context of what he's saying, because he's, he's done talking of, of, you know, through generalities when he's saying, you know, the end is not yet. You're going to see these things. The end is not yet. These things will happen. All these are but the beginning of it. Okay. So that's the proof of this is going to keep going on. But then in verse nine, look what he says. Then they will deliver up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. So that's not only is this the first century disciples that were going to suffer or going to, to, to suffer this persecution, but this is also for the Jews that are going to be left in the, the tribulation period too, to be, to be refined. But here, and he's giving the the disciples, you know, I mean, something that they different definitely weren't comfortable with hearing by saying, "You will be hated by all nations for my namesake," but you'll be delivered up to tribulation and put to death. Um, that's why a lot of post tribulationalists, a lot of people like this, they they don't read this in context, and they say, "See, every every Christian has to go through the tribulation period." And see, it says right there that you'll be put to death because you're a follower of Christ. That this is not where, you know, he, this is where, um, you know, this, this understanding the context and, and who it was written to and what Jesus is saying and every little word here, why it's important to pay attention to these things. Because you can read yourself into places that you don't belong if you don't. In verse 10, let's continue on these signs. So we have tribulation put to death. You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Now that's something also that, that can, that, that means a lot to us because we will be hated just for following Christ. Well, we see the reality of that in our world right now. I mean, you, you, all of us are dealing it, dealing with it to some extent. Look at verse 10. And then many, there's that word again, many, not a few, but many, majority, and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many will fall away, betray, hate. Verse 11, and many false prophets will arise. Verse 11, many false prophets will arise. What do we just read in verse 5? 
and 4. 5 was many come in my name saying I'm the Christ and lead many astray. In verse 4, the very first thing that he answers, see that no one, no one leads you astray. And then 11 repeats, and my and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. This is also that, that, that increment, see? So where we were just talking about what the disciples are going to have to deal with, and they're going to go through this period, but then building up into the tribulation and through the tribulation period, many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. So this, this covers this full period of time, this inner advent period. I've used that, that, that term before. Hopefully now you can sort of understand what that means. That inner advent period is just the time between first and second comings. So without making the distinction of a rapture or anything like that, just saying Jesus first time when he was on earth and then the second time his feet will be, will touch the Mount of Olives like we read in Zechariah. Okay, so again, though, the many false prophets will arise and lead many astray, just as we read up in verse five, we read that again in 11 for a different time period. Verse 12, and because lawlessness will be increased, so lawlessness will be increased. There you go. There's another sign. Lawlessness will be increased. The love of many will grow cold. Now, think about this again. Because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Well, if lawlessness is increasing, there's a, there's already a lot of cold heart, a cold love, a lot of blankness, right? We see a lot of that in our world today. People just don't care. It's cold. They're, they're cold. I mean, we see a lot of that in the Black Lives Matter movement and the extremism of it, this Antifa movement. We can see that there's just, it is completely hard, but that's not what he's, that's not necessarily what he's saying. Because who are we talking about here? What do we just say? Why Why did I, I give you that big, long-winded thing saying that he's not just talking to the world here and I believe he's talking about some representation of a believer, somebody who knows who Christ is. He doesn't truly believe, but he knows Christ. Because we see this, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. So you know what that is? We're going to start seeing that in the church. We're going to start seeing the love of, of each other grow cold. Because of this lawlessness, because of these things that are going on. The love of many will grow cold. So not only do we see that in the church... We'll see that continuing through the end of the age. So while this isn't directly written to the church, you see how where we understand it as such. Because we see because of all these things going on and happening, and then we see our world around us today and we go, this makes sense. Now I can see it. Now I can see people that confess to be Christians, that say they're Christians, they really don't know who they are. They really don't know who Christ is. They say they are, but their their love has gone completely cold. They're falling away because of the false prophets, because of the false church, because of this system. Like we can see all this. 
Even though he wasn't directly referring to this, this is exactly what he said was going to happen. In verse 13, making this distinction, what does he say? So this is, this is an important division here. Rightly dividing the word of truth like Paul tells us, commands us to do. Us, when I say us, I say teachers of the word. We are to rightly divide the word of truth, rightly handle it. Verse 13 here, but the one who endures till the end will be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. Closing out in 14 there, the gospel has been preached. I know there's some there's some different maps of, of different areas where the gospel hasn't been preached. I know um, um, uh, John Barnett teaches. He's got his little map um, where some different areas where some different tribes and things haven't been touched. But um, Jesus' point here, and this is where I see this a little bit different than they do. Jesus' point there is, is not the gospel literally reaching every single little, you know, pygmy area. This is a, he's, he's talking in a general sense here of this going across and out of the world. This was something that was localized to the Middle East. I mean, the Asia Minor, this was something that was, this was very, very localized, very small. Where was the gospel? This was to go to the Jews, not to the Gentiles, right? But it was go to the Jews first, and then it was to go to the nation. So, you know, when we see, you know, the complete other side of the world, you know, I mean, heck, we see, um, you know, churches and, and grown literally all over the world. That's exactly what he was saying. And I think he was saying, so now that this gospel has been proclaimed and these things are continuing and ramping up, these things are all, are all pointing us towards the end. And we can take comfort in knowing that while we see these things, we know that Christ has given us the warnings because what did he say? This goes back into verse one, see that no one leads you astray. We've seen that and now for us, the church, we know revealed for his plan the whole time. We know that the rapture of the church, it was a mystery that was revealed completely to Paul, something that Jesus spoke about, as we said in, in, in John chapter 14, where it was first introduced, we know that the church, part of this kingdom offering was that we don't go through this period of refinement because this is the time for Jacob's trouble, Israel's trouble. Okay, this is this will be the the seventieth week of Daniel, which uh, I know a lot of you are doing your your Daniel study. I cannot wait till I can finally get into Daniel, Isaiah, a lot of things. I know I, I keep saying that, but I really am looking forward to to getting uh, into Daniel and going over that because uh, the the book of Daniel is very specific on showing us that. There's this one last week, this, this seven-year period. It's listed as weeks in the book of Daniel. But it's one last seven-year period that will finish the iniquity of the nation of Israel and reconcile all these things and reconcile the Messiah and his people. And he will rule and reign on the throne in Jerusalem 
for a thousand years as we went over in Revelation uh, 20 uh, a few weeks ago. So, Real quick before you get into anything else. He's also talking there when he talks about it going out to all the people. Um, Tachi said, isn't he also referencing the 144,000 and two witnesses who will be preaching the kingdom gospel? That's exactly, yeah. That, that's, that was my next point that I was getting to on the end when it will come. Because he will send out the 144,000 there in Revelation to preach the gospel during the tribulation period. This is how the gospel gets um, pushed out to, to the rest of the world. We see that this is a time that the, the Holy Spirit is going, it's going to be void of the Spirit. It's going to be completely fallen under God's wrath. Um, and there's the knowledge of the Lord is going to be few and far between, but that's why there is a church that's going to exist during the tribulation period. Um, obviously the, the Israel exists during the tribulation period on all of this being completed with the second coming. But during the tribulation period, this gospel going out, this will come from the 144,000 Jews to all the nations and they will see it. Yep. Absolutely. So that's. No, no, don't be sorry for the question, Tachi. No, you, matter of fact, you just, I, I probably would have, if you wouldn't have asked that and, and if Heidi would have just stopped me, I probably would have rambled about that for another hour. So, um, it's, it's, you're welcome. So that was, um, just, I, I cut it off at 14 today. We will do a, a review next week and go off. Uh, and, and try to finish the chapter next week. I don't. No, I'm not getting there. Never mind. Um, because I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to kind of re-summarize this again, and then go over some the abomination of desolation next week, um, which that will get us into all probably all kinds of different rabbit holes. So I did cut it off in 14, but I really wanted us to to pay attention to the, these are the signs that we have, the signs of the return of the Lord. I mean, these are very, very um, detailed signs. If you, you can interpret these uh, properly, you know how to rightly divide the word of truth and understand what Jesus is saying. That's why you need a shepherd for this, guys. It's not that you need a man to tell you what this means because a man cannot tell you what this means understanding comes from the Lord and from the Lord only. I can't grant you understanding. I can't give it. I can't do a little trick to you to get it. Understanding comes from the Lord only. Okay. But this, this understanding, I mean, we, we have this truth right here in front of us and we know, and it's important to find a trusted teacher to guide you through this because you cannot do this on your own. Um, again, I'm not saying you can't understand it. You can't read the Bible. We're not the Catholic church over here. Nobody needs to have a reformation again, but you cannot properly grow and, and, and learn doctrine and learn these things and learn how to rightly divide unless you have somebody to take you through it, whether that be your husband, whether that be your pastor at church. Um, whether that be me, whether that be all of the above, whoever it is, seek it out. Don't get frustrated. Don't. And that's what I'm, uh, you know, I have, I, I still offer myself up. I am your shepherd. If, if any of you consider 
um, yourselves to be in my flock, then don't ever be worried about coming to me and asking for a question, asking for me to help you through scripture at any time or anything, because that's what I'm here for. Uh, I, I can give you resources. I can, I can try to explain something to you. I can, I can, I can do a podcast for, I can do all kinds of stuff for you that I would absolutely love to do. Um, so, you know, when you get to these things, it's just very, very important to understand these and, and rightly divide them. So we know what's going on. We know what's going on in the world. Because once we start reading these things and we we understand, we're able to, to go through this process, the word speaks to us and we see, and it makes sense of everything that's going on and around us. It's almost frustrating so much because you're like, gosh, I wish I didn't know what was going on because it's so frustrating to see people just not care and people just continue on, uh, you know, going the way that they're going and only proving Peter right, you know, um, I mean, there, there will be scoffers in the end day, scoffing, saying, where is the promise of his coming? Uh, these things have been continuing on since the beginning of time. And we right now is a very, very bad time to scoff because, you know, we want to waken up and strengthen what we have with us. Um, and that just means, you know, being solid in this, that doesn't mean that we won't fail. That doesn't mean that we won't uh, mess up. That doesn't mean that we're not perfect, but it, it means that we have oil in our lamps. We have, um, you know, our running shoes on, whatever, whatever, you know, uh, whatever comparison that you want to give to it, but we're ready to go and armed with it and armed with truth and showing love. And, and, and just living as, as quietly and as righteously as possible in these days. Um, it's, you know, it, it shouldn't, you shouldn't feel the need to, to go like Ray Comfort and go run up and down the streets and go try to save as many people as you can, unless that's what the Lord is calling you to do, then so be it. But not everybody should worry like that. Um, I, I, it, this doesn't have to turn you into a do, 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 oh, I gotta do all these things. I gotta, no, grow close to the people that you love. Grow close to the Lord. Um, show love. Just, just you know, try to uh, live your life as, as honorable and as quiet as possible as we see these days approaching. And definitely we can't through, fix this through politics, through, through false teachings, through any of these things. We, we, we have to fix it through um, what, what we can handle. We can't put it in somebody else's hands. So that, that, you know, we, we would be surprised how far our reach actually gets and the difference that we can actually make with actually doing, um, you know, very few, very few acts. Uh, we can make huge differences in people's lives. And, and as we see these things and as we see the, the love growing cold, as we see, uh, you know, the, the opposition to the gospel, as we see all of these things starting to get worse and worse and now we're not even allowed to have you know a, a word in edgewise and in anything i mean this is this is definitely something that has progressed uh in this country in america to a level that we have not seen before and that should be sobering to us in the way that it sounds exactly like jesus said what was going to happen to the whole world right before the return of Christ. Amen. So let's go ahead and close in prayer and then we'll do questions and talk a little bit more if you guys want. So, Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you 
Father, again, I thank you so much for this opportunity to be able to speak to your people, Lord, especially to speak about them, Father, of the very things that you warned us about, that you prepared us for. Father, thank you for these promises. They just, they become so real to us, Father, when we see the world around us and we we understand and we feel your peace and comfort in them. Even though the world is suffering unbelievable tribulation right now, Father, we still find comfort and peace and joy in all of these things, knowing that your return is around the corner. Father, we certainly don't find comfort and peace in, in the hurting and the suffering and the lost. We ask that you bring as many of those to you as possible, Father. We ask that we can just, Father, equip us to carry out whatever that you would have us do in these end days, Lord, in any way that we can help anybody to reach out and pull anybody from the fire, Lord. Please give us the opportunity to do it. Give us the strength to do it. Father, may we begin to take these things seriously, to prepare and to look for your soon return every day, Lord, not to just talk about these things, read about these things, feel emotional about these things, but to actually take action, Father, and to actually believe, actually make a difference before your return. Father, just allow us the opportunities and the ability to carry them out. Father, I ask that you just bless your people this week. Thank you for bringing them to our ministry, Father, giving us the opportunity for us to shepherd them, but more importantly, to grow in you and to give you glory and honor in all things, Lord. Father, I thank you for this opportunity in this beautiful church family. Return to us soon, Lord Jesus. We love you. Amen. All right, guys. Do we have any questions? Yes. Okay. Um, Figured. Back towards the top a little bit. Tachi said, why did the disciples associate the destruction of the temple with the end of the age? Because there was, they figured since Jesus was right then and there and they were thinking destruction, they're all, okay, kingdom done. Because the final promise was that Messiah, think of Ezekiel, um, think of Ezekiel's temple and the Messiah, the Messianic temple. This is what that was to carry into the, uh, into the kingdom. So this is exactly where we're associating it with growing it. So there's going to be this, there's going to be this end of the age, this end of the world right before this Messianic period comes. And so this is what, this is something that the disciples saw and they would have known that through Ezekiel. They would have known that through Isaiah. They, they would have known that through a, a couple of, of Old Testament, uh, you know, prophecies. Uh, but then just the way that the, the events previously had uh, played out as well. So that's a great question though, Tachi. Mm -hmm. It is a, it's a very, very good question, but they, they, they associated that. And that gives us kind of the answer of, of, you know, where their mindset was and how the Jews understood these things to occur, uh, how they, they, they understood how these things were going to happen, how they interpreted them 
how, you know, what they thought. So while they didn't all get it right, they, they, and they were confused in a lot of different ways because they could see these in these Old Testament prophets, but they're like, okay, I still don't see how this is happening because it seems like he's going to, it's going to get like, like, it's going to be really bad and then it's going to get really, really get, like before it gets better. So it was, you know, this, this time of, of Messiah dying and being raised again, you know, and him going and showing them, look, this is where this said that this was going to happen. Don't lose heart. This is the way that it was going to happen. Uh, it's just their, their expectations might have been a little bit different. That's a great question. Um, when Jesus is giving, you know, the different examples of things to come, he says, many will come in my name. Um, is he making reference to the Antichrist in that as well? Yes, absolutely. Yep. I mean, that is the, <laughs> we get, um, we, we, we get, yeah. And, and that's where we have, um, you know, in, in Daniel nine, we have, uh, him listed specifically, we see as we're getting into next week, the abomination of desolation. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel sitting in the holy place, uh, we know that this is not only what uh, Titus would do in 70 AD, but this was going to be what the Antichrist would do in the future. And what they would have had in mind is exactly what Antiochus Epiphanes did with... Um, uh, the destruction of, or I mean, with a desecration of the, uh, the temple. So they would have had all of that in mind. Those are the two. That she those are those are the two ones. Those are two great questions. Um, and Travis, our Travis, did respond um, something about with the Roman culture and stuff and sharing. Oh, cool! Yeah, Thanks, buddy. I appreciate that. Tashi says she's in Daniel 8 of Andy Wood sermons. Almost there. <laughs> Daniel 8, almost there. Yeah, you'll get there. Andy is, um, Andy does a really good job, uh, of course, with Daniel. Um, I don't remember. It's been a while. I need to go through his whole sermon series on Daniel again. Um, it's been a while. I don't think there was anything that I had different on him. Um, with that, Dan, he's really good on that. And like I said, uh, this is one of the Matthew 24 is one that I completely agree with him on because there's two things in this. And I don't know if Emily is on, but, um, Emily and I both feel this way. We've talked about this before too, that there's some people that believe that there's some side, some sort of like mystery prototype kingdom here while before Jesus comes and brings his kingdom and, that's kind of a teaching that uh, um, Arnold Frutenbaum does, like I was, I was saying before, and that's, I don't really, I, I don't agree with that. Neither does Andy. So I, I, I'm with him on that. And I, I think this is, a, I think he's referring to the second coming. And um, I think this is also, I interpret this as, as, as kind of just like everything else. When Jesus gives this answer, he's saying, okay, well, I'm giving you an answer that's going to encompass this whole period of time. It's not just, we're not talking about just the first century here. And that's what post-millennialists, that's what they do with this, this passage is say, okay, well, this was fulfilled by 70 AD, uh, all of this, which that's just, that's just not the way that, you know, prophecy works. And that's not, that's definitely not the way that the chapter flows. So, uh, as we get into next week, we'll, we'll continue to learn a little bit more about that. You're so welcome, Andy, or I mean, uh,
Tachi, he is, he's a great teacher. Um, as I said, recently, I'm not too happy with him, but, um, as far as his kingdom stuff and his damn man, he, there's, there's no better on, on some of those things. So, uh, he's, he's definitely been a blessing in, some, in my life as well. So, so you this, are more than welcome. The study packet is posted. It's tagged up in the announcements. And then each day I will be sharing the materials in the group because it has been really awesome to see, you know, allow everyone to ask questions, mm -hmm. share responses, um, things of that nature. So, And I want to mention the last thing that I'm going to mention here too is I did put uh, a modest, yeah, as I said earlier, I put a modest Yahoo song uh, on for tomorrow. For tomorrow. Um, the song is called uh, Ash Um The song is about the destruction of this the Second Temple in 70 AD. That's what this song is about, and it looks forward to building of the Third Temple. So while he, they, he's not Christian, he's a, he's an Orthodox Jew, but uh, you know this is why I was teaching you guys. It's interesting to always see what the Jews believe because you know they're still looking for their Messiah. But the way that they understand their end time stuff and the way they understand things, um, they understand this stuff literally, and they understand this to be the Messiah is going to come to the temple and rule the temple literally as a king. And this song will 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 show you that yes, Israel will eventually get it right while they're not. Um, this will show you, I mean, it, being a Christian and understanding this, we, we understand this from a different view. We understand this from a completed perspective. Uh, and if anybody feels uncomfortable, of course, you don't have to listen to it or anything like that. But um, I, I know some people might wonder, okay, well, why are you sharing something that's not a Christian artist or anything like that? Um, you know, I and what I always answer to this is, you know, I love... Um, I love uh, Jewish music, uh, Hebrew music, uh, Modest Yahoo. He's one of my favorite artists. Um, he's, he's this reggae Hasidic, um, you know, Jew that's, that kind of has these two styled mix, but it's amazing because a lot of his music shows a lot of the same understanding that we have of scripture. And I'd rather have music that sounds scripturally, even if it doesn't come from a Christian, Christian artist than I would even a Christian artist with words that, that was just repeating some ridiculous chorus over and over and over again and didn't mean anything. Um, and, I, you know, I'd like to remind you, too, that that Paul quoted a pagan prophet twice in his writings, um, not not agreeing with any of the things that the, the pagan, any of the other things the pagan prophet said, and by no mean, by no means promoting the pagan prophet but acknowledging that the prophet said uh, something true and something that he could apply to to truth. And just as this, and that's what, that's what I say too, is I say, okay, well, that's fine. You're right. He's not a Christian. Israel will end up getting it right uh, after the tribulation period. However, this song and, and this music and what this is about, um, this is truth. This is about the millennial kingdom. This is about the coming of Christ. This is, I mean, all of this stuff is, is about uh, literal stuff. So it, it really doesn't matter what they think. It's what we know is truth. So that's why I, I put that on there if anybody has any questions. And the reason why I mention this is this, this is because some of these things are some of these things that were being questioned and I, I mean, I just, you know, some of this stuff is, is very true. We shouldn't, we should be apart from the world. We should not look like the world. We should not have anything to do with anything that's blatantly disregards the Lord. 
But then there's things out in the world, but we're not, we're also not this, this, that word that uh, Randy Alcorn made up. It's that Christo-Platoism, okay, where everything in the material world is bad, literally everything, right? So anything that I touch, anything that I could see, everything's bad and I don't have any freedom to do anything. It's not the case either. Um, we, we, we definitely don't do things that blaspheme the Lord. There's definitely things that are sinful and, and, and that we shouldn't do. Uh, most of those things are disguised under the name of the Lord. But when we come to things like this, who the Jews who are very dedicated to reading scripture, and even though they're blinded and, and things like this, there's still a lot of beauty and, and a lot of learning that we can get from going to the roots and knowing that God is not done with those people, the people, the reason why their culture and all of these things and this understanding still exists is because of the Lord and because they are his chosen people. So we need to not forget that. So that was my, my last little um, thing on that. But I hope you guys enjoy the packet, the studies. Please feel free to get a hold of me if you have any questions, if you guys need anything. Thank you so much for all your support, everything that you guys do. Um, it means more to us than the world, the outpouring of support that we've had after this week. Um, you know, not only, um, and not only emotionally, um, financially, uh, all, all the ways you guys have tremendously blessed us. We love you and we thank you. So we hope you have a best week and, uh, let me know if you guys need anything. We love you and we'll see you then. Bye guys.